Hey guys, welcome into the Faithful to the End podcast. We're so glad you've decided to join us today. Here you'll find easy access to all of Pastor Dave's sermons and even guest speakers at Graceway Church of Michiana. At Graceway Church of Michiana, we preach expositionally through the scriptures as we feel this is most consistent with the author's original intent in writing and yields both biblically and contextually accurate interpretations. At this time, we would invite you to grab your Bibles as we dig in to the Word of God. Have you heard about the revival down at Asbury University? By this time, likely you have heard, you've seen it on the news. It's kind of gotten national, at least news, attention. So when you heard about it, how does it strike you? What's happening? Uh, How do we interpret that or think about that? And interestingly enough, that has a lot to do with our discussion on the ministry and the work of the Holy Spirit. So throughout the book of Acts, as we've discussed already, you're going to be introduced in some ways in a unique way to the realities of the Holy Spirit and his work among the genuine followers of Jesus. What does that look like? What does that translate then into for us? And that's what we're going to do today is explore that issue. What is the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit to us? What does that in a sense, tangibly look like. And then we'll look at the second issue of gifts and gifts throughout the book of Acts. And we'll do so briefly. As we walk through this, this is what I want you to note, to remember. As believers, the Holy Spirit is at work in your life. That's it. If you are a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is at work in your life. Now, If he's not at work in your life, you need to ask a different question. Do I know Jesus? Am I genuinely a follower? Because if you know him, he is at work in your life. Now remember, as we introduced this book a couple of weeks ago, this is the second longest book in our New Testament. It is a follow-up to Acts Uh, Luke is not offering us a different story. This is the continuing story of Jesus and the work that he began to do and the things that he began to teach. This is the ongoing story. The theme of the whole book is Acts 1.8. You will receive power from the Holy Spirit. And then you'll be witnesses to me to the ends of the earth. And that's really the, the layout of the book. Chapters 1 to 7, you have them witnessing in Jerusalem as witnesses in Jerusalem. And then as witnesses in Judea and Samaria, chapters 8 to 12. And then witnesses to the ends of the earth. Which I think for Luke, he kind of gives us the perspective, the perception that that's to Rome. And that's where the book kind of concludes is with Paul in Rome. So this is Acts. And again, as we walk through this today... Remember, as believers, the Holy Spirit is absolutely at work in your life. So the first thing that we're going to look at is this work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers. And five things. Now, now one of these I combined into two. I put two together, all right, so it's six, but we're, we're going to say five, all right? And the first one we're going to look at is regeneration. The regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. Now... This one is significant because in some ways it is different from some of the others. All right. So several of the others we'll look at kind of fall together in the way that they 
work out or flesh out in our lives, okay? Regeneration is a little bit different. So look with me, if you would, at John chapter 3. Jesus here is speaking with Nicodemus. Likely, if you uh, have read your Bible at all, you've read this story numerous times. We as a congregation have walked through it together. But we're going to review it just briefly this morning. John chapter 3 and verse 3, Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus. Nicodemus approaches him at night. He doesn't want to approach him during the day. He doesn't necessarily want everybody to see him coming to talk to Jesus. Nicodemus is a teacher of the Pharisees, a Pharisee of the Pharisees. This guy is an instructor in some respects. So this guy is pretty significant. Likely he has a seat on the religious uh, authority uh, structure, power uh, uh, structure within Israel, the Sanhedrin. He's on that council. He's in that group. And he comes to Jesus at night and he says, you're a good man. What do we do for eternal life? How do we inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds to him and he says, truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus says to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus says again, answered again, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, as Jesus begins this and he does this, John uses this phrase a lot, and it's very important. He begins by saying in verse 3, truly, truly. That phrase, that word literally means, truly, literally means to confirm. And what this is describing is the confirmation that Jesus is giving about his own words as they're being given. Uh, At times, this word would be used in a courtroom to confirm the testimony of a witness. Jesus is literally saying, as he begins to speak, I am confirming absolutely, because he uses it twice, truly, truly. I am confirming absolutely the words that I am about to say to you. They are true. These are words from God. And here are the words that he gives to Nicodemus. You must be born again. You're not going to see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. Again, Now, he doesn't ignore the comment that Nicodemus gives, but in some ways he kind of alters it. Nicodemus is saying, how do we inherit the kingdom of God? And, and Jesus kind of turns the conversation and says, listen, you have to be born again. Now, Nicodemus' natural response, Nicodemus' temporal, earthly, human response to new birth is what? Well, how does that make sense? What, what, what could you possibly be talking about? If I were to say to you, and you had no concept of Scripture or the Bible, and I were to say to you, you have to be born again to go to heaven, what would you say? Huh? What? We've had a couple babies born in our midst over the last several months. We've got another one coming in July, Lord willing, right? And um, when a baby is born, if you've ever been near 
that, if you've ever witnessed that, if you've ever held a little one moments after, uh, the whole thing is pretty miraculous. But once it happens, you can't really undo it. You can't repeat it. It, it wouldn't work. And so Nicodemus, on a very human level, looks at Jesus and says, how do you be born again? What in the world are we talking about, right? And this is what Jesus says to him. And this is why Nicodemus' focus is off. And Jesus will rebuke him before this is done and say, you're a teacher of Israel and you don't understand this? The truth is, if Nicodemus is a teacher of Israel, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, likely having the first five books of your Bible memorized, all of them, and it's the biggest section of your Bible, if you've never looked, it's enormous. The longest books in our Bible are those, some of those at the beginning. I mean, they're huge. Nicodemus knew the Bible. Nicodemus knew how to teach the Bible. Nicodemus uh, was an interpreter of Scripture and didn't understand this concept. So for some of you sitting here today, you may say in your mind, ah, I've been in church, I'm, I know about this, I've heard this story. Listen, there's something supernatural to this. That is what Jesus is describing. And in verse 5, he goes on and he says, you have to be born of water and of the Spirit. Now, there's a couple different ways to interpret the water there. Some suggest that's natural birth. Some suggest that's actually the Word. The Word of God through the Spirit of God brings about conviction in the heart of an individual and they see their need. Now, likely, it's probably natural birth that he's talking about because he talks about that in the next verse. He talks about natural birth versus spiritual birth. But here's the reality. The Spirit of God does absolutely take the Word of God and appeal to convict the heart. And if that has never occurred for you, if there has never been a time where you stepped back and said, that's me. I, 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 have, I need to turn from my sin. I need to be rescued from my sin. I need to accept this offer, this gift that God is making available through Jesus. That is being born again. And I will tell you today, I truly believe there are hundreds, maybe millions of people that sit in American churches every single week and they are as lost as a goose in a snowstorm. They do not genuinely know Jesus because they have not been born again. You say, how do you know that? Because of the way they react. Because of the way they respond to the word. There is nothing on earth that could be less interesting to them. There's nothing on earth that they like less. If they can get away from it, they will. If they can avoid it, they do. Listen to me. That's not new birth. It's not new birth. And new birth doesn't mean you're perfect. What it does mean is you're drawn. You're interested. There's something here that you... I didn't realize that. I, I, I want that. I need that. That's new birth. It's new. It's different. Something new is created, accomplished by the work of the Spirit. That's regeneration. And that is the first work that he's doing in the lives of believers. 
Now what's interesting, as he concludes this, he's going to say in verse 7 and verse 8, he's going to say, don't marvel about this. Don't, don't be surprised by this. This shouldn't, shouldn't shock you because this is the reality that was promised even in Ezekiel. Ezekiel 36, he says, you'll get a new heart and I'll put my spirit in you. That's it. That's regeneration. A new heart and his spirit in you. This is the work. This is the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. And it's something that can't be, un- it can't be controlled. And to be blunt, it's something that can't be fully understood. The truth is, on a very subjective level, you know, you understand whether or not this regenerating work has been accomplished in your heart. You know that. Now, you might push back on that thought or doubt if you're uncertain. But the truth is, you know. Because the very Spirit of God that regenerates, the Bible tells us in Corinthians, He works, He affirms, confirms in your heart that you are a child of God. Right? Paul tells us that. I think it's actually Romans, not Corinthians. So this is a reality. If you know the Lord, you understand this in some sense. Maybe not fully, completely. Maybe not all the way it works out. But you understand in a personal way this transforming work of God. Birth speaks of new life. And in this case, that is spiritual life. It is spiritual birth that we're talking about. And this eternal life is the work of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus, interestingly enough, he says, listen, the evidence of this is undeniable. It's unmistakable. When God, through his spirit, transforms a human heart, you can't help but see it. Is that evident in you? Is it evident in me? As people engage you, do they say that person's been transformed? That's what new life does. So today, have you been born again? We're going to look at a lot of other aspects of the Spirit's ministry, but listen to me this morning. This one might be the most significant because it's supposed to be life transforming. If you have never been born again, you can be today, but you must be. You must be to have a real relationship with God. You must be born again. Again, that's exactly what Jesus said to Nicodemus. You must be born again. Have you been born again? If not, you can be today. Now, Peter reiterates this actually at the end of his sermon as people say to him, okay, what do we do? Verse 37 of Acts, he says, what do we do? So how how do we respond? And Peter says, um, well, I jumped ahead of myself. I'm sorry. Paul reiterates this actually in Titus, and it's a common passage. We, we worked through it several, uh, a couple of weeks ago, a couple of months ago, but it, it again speaks of the renewing work, the renewing power of the Holy Spirit. In Titus chapter 3, verse 4, he says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, this is Jesus' incarnation, he saved us not because of works that we have done in righteousness, but according to his Mercy by what? By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. That's regeneration. The renewal of the Holy Spirit. This is a work 
of God. This is a work that he does in us. If you have never been born again, you must be today. You must be. It's essential. Jesus said that to Nicodemus. Now the second one. The second one is indwelling. And for the rest of these, we're going to move fairly quickly through them, all right? So I'll, I'll give you which one we're looking at and the scripture. It's not that the scripture we're looking at is the only one. It's just for most of them, it's the primary one. And so that's why we're looking at that. So we'll look at that one and then we'll probably explain briefly and jump to the next one, all right? Now, in, in full disclosure, all of you that have been here for any time know full well I can't stand doing that, okay? But it, it is where we are today. All right, Romans chapter 8. Romans 8 is a chapter on the ministry, the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. The bulk of this chapter is on that issue alone. It's the ministry of the Spirit. His work affirming, confirming, indwelling, uh, it, the new creation that will be a reality, and all of its groaning in the middle of that chapter. So in verse 9, he says, you, however, as believers, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if you've been regenerated by, by the implication is then what? The spirit of God dwells in you and in me. Right. Anyone who does not have the spirit of God does not belong to him. Listen to me. Paul does not mince words. Paul doesn't say there's a gray area and people are kind of working their way in. No, if the spirit dwells in you, you're his. If not, you're not. That's it. it it's, it's fairly straightforward. Verse 10. But if Christ is in you, although the body of sin is dead, or although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. So if the spirit of him, Jesus who raised Jesus from the dead, dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal, physical, temporal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. So, several things. There's a lot that we could say and unpack in those verses, right? We will not do that, though, though I'm struggling with that, all right? But, but what's very clear is this. If you're a believer, you're indwelt by the Spirit. If you're a believer, you are indwelt by the Spirit, and that's how you know you're God's, right? So this is important. Once we are regenerated by the Spirit, we immediately experience this indwelling. He immediately is dwelling in us. He is immediately with us once we are regenerated. At that point, we are indwelt, and we enjoy the indwelling of the Spirit in an ongoing manner. Once you turn in faith to Jesus, once you are born again, you're indwelt. That's it. It doesn't come, it doesn't go, it doesn't ebb, it doesn't float. That's not how this is. You are indwelt. He is at work. Now, there are realities, there are, are, there are issues that relate to how we respond now that's a different discussion, all right? But we are indwelt from the moment we are regenerated, okay? Number three. Number three, I combined two, and I put them together because they kind of appear in the same verse initially, sealing 
and anointing. Sealing and anointing. Sealing is accomplished at salvation by God. So, note this. When you're regenerated, you're indwelled. You're also sealed. You see how those stack together, okay? So, when you are, when you are regenerated, you are sealed and indwelled. Again, this is entirely the work of God. Three passages that describe this, and I'm just going to read them and comment very, very briefly. 2 Corinthians 1.21, And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us, and who also has put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. That's the idea of the seal. The idea of the seal is like a contract that God makes with us. This guarantee is a guarantee of all that will eventually be ours. So we are anticipating all the rewards and all the benefits of being born again in the future. But we still enjoy that power, that grace, the life in our mortal bodies that Romans 8 described, right? Okay, Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13. Ephesians 1, 3 through 14 is a collection of the Godhead and their work in salvation. God's work, the Son's work, the Spirit's work, okay? And that's what we're looking at at the end. Verse 13 is the Spirit's work. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him. So you heard this and you believed. You were born again. You were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory? So, The Spirit is the guarantee. He's the down payment of everything that will be yours one day. He continues this in uh, Ephesians chapter 4. Now Ephesians 4, at the end of the chapter, this is a discussion of old man and new man responses. When you were an old man, you responded like this. Now that you're a new man, you're called to respond like this. Stop responding like this. Start responding like this. How does that happen? By being renewed, verse 23. How are you renewed? Through the Word. Through the Spirit taking the Word and applying it to your life and what you do and how you respond. That's how real transformation takes place. Okay? So verse 30, he says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Grieving the Holy Spirit of God, rejecting, resisting, denying the Holy Spirit of God, that is an old man characteristic. Paul literally says, lay that aside. And in its place, accept, respond, obey, submit to the working of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because it is Him by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. He is the seal, the guarantee of the complete redemption that you'll enjoy one day. You will be fully, finally transformed into the image and likeness of Jesus one day. Because of the regenerating work of the Spirit in your heart. Because of the regenerating work of the Spirit. When you hear the truth, understand your need, and believe. And he lays that out in Ephesians 1. You heard the gospel of your salvation, and what would you do? You believed. And when you believe, this new creation, this new life, this transforming work is accomplished in your life through the Spirit of God. Now, the anointing 
it's, it, it also occurs at salvation. So right now we have regeneration, that, that kind of is conversion. And then indwelling and sealing and anointing, they all happen at the moment of salvation. You see that? They're all together. Now, when you come across these, and, and truthfully, throughout our New Testament, they don't occur that many times. In some ways, they're fairly rare. But when you come across them, there's, there can almost be this sense of, oh, I wonder what that means. I wonder, I wonder what I'm supposed to do in light of that. No, what each occurrence demonstrates is that this is a, a reality currently. It already happened at the moment of salvation. So he goes on to anointing. And if you look carefully, this occurs about seven times and in each of those occurrences, it is addressed as an initial act of indwelling. And the reason that that word is important is because some in other movements, they will use that word as, for instance, a fresh anointing. Listen, once you are in Jesus and once you have been regenerated, there is no such thing as a need for a fresh anointing. You have all of the spirit that you are ever going to get at the moment you were regenerated. That's it. Okay, so that's anointing. Number four, all right? Actually, number five, but hey, who's counting, right? Number four, baptism. The baptism of the spirit, again, happens at the moment of salvation. Salvation and the baptism of the spirit, these are, again, simultaneous facts, realities. Best passage for this probably is 1 Corinthians 12, 13. It says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews and Greeks, slaves and free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. When? At the moment we were regenerated. Once again, baptism stacks into this group, into this set of indwelling, sealing, uh, anointing, and now the baptism of the Spirit. All of those happen at the point of salvation. So we're not waiting for those. We're not hoping for more of those. We're not anticipating more of those to come. Nope, we got them all at salvation. Okay, so that's baptism. And this is something that John the Baptist, he predicts this will come. Jesus guarantees it. Peter affirms it. Paul addresses it, explains the theological significance of this in a couple of passages. So there's much more we could say, all right? But what we know is this occurs at salvation. The last one. The last one in some ways can be the most confusing, and that's why we moved it to the end. The last one, in a sense, we, depending on your background and your upbringing and how you've been trained and what you've read, etc., we can get the impression with the last one that it is something that happens once and then it needs to happen again and then it needs to happen again and then it needs to happen again. And what I want to explain today is I think this last one fits in with all of the previous four, five, uh, that we just addressed. I think it fits right there with all of them. The work of the Spirit is fully accomplished when He regenerates you. You have the Spirit. Now, we'll talk more about what that means in, in a moment, all right? But let me very briefly, I walked through uh, in the last two weeks every single occurrence of two words. The two words that are used to describe the filling of the Holy Spirit. Let me see the first slide on that one, Kim. No, not that one. Okay, there we go. Okay, so this first word, this is the nominal noun form of the word fill. All right, now, 
what I want you to observe, and I left a few of these references in there because I want you to see how the word is used. The word is not used in a miraculous way in the other places that it's used. Now, obviously, the filling of the Spirit is significant, right? I mean, it's miraculous. It's amazing. But look at how he uses the word. Look at how the authors use the word in other places. Matthew uh, uses it. Mark uses it uh, for baskets being full. That's what the word means. It just means something that's full. It's like having a full water bottle or a full cup of coffee. Hallelujah. Right? Um, it, it's that. But Jesus, uh, Luke tells us, is full of the Spirit. Luke 4, 1. Uh, but then in Luke 5, there's somebody that's full of leprosy. Is there a difference? Is there a significance? No, what I want you to observe is this. There's nothing special. There's nothing unique. There's nothing sensational about the word full. It means full. That's it. It means full. That's it. And that's what every one of these means. So when he says the full of the Spirit, this is a characteristic. In, in Acts chapter 6, they're looking for the first deacons. These men were characterized by lives that were full of the Spirit. The work of the Spirit was evident. Their maturity was evident. Their responses, in their responses, it was evident that they were being transformed, that they had been regenerated. And folks, one of the things that's critical, it's a side note here, but that's what we're supposed to do when we look for leaders. We're not looking for someone that's been around the longest, somebody that's the oldest. Not that either of those are bad, but sometimes those folks aren't full of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're looking for first. First, right? We've got to be careful that that's our mindset. In chapter, or verse 5, he says, full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Again, characteristic. And the last one is, full of God's grace and power. This is where they were once they were given this ministry, once they were voted in. Once they, uh, hands were laid on them, that was what happened. They were full of grace and the Holy Spirit. Twice more, the noun is used in Acts. Acts 7, 55, full of the Holy Spirit, and Acts 11, 24, full of the Holy Spirit. Um, it's used one time outside of, of, of Luke-Acts for the majority. It's used there in 2 John. And if you will note, in 2 John, it's again used of a full reward. That, that's it. It's just a word that means full. In the same way, the verb is used. But what I want you to note is this. The verb is actually used, and this is the verbal form, it is used 86 times. I went through our New Testament and looked at every single occurrence. And do you know that of those 86 times, it's used in connection with the Spirit twice. Listen carefully to me. There is no secret, hidden, powerful secret if we can just figure it out. That, that's not what this is. This word literally just means full. <laughs> just means filled up in the, in, in the verbal form. And that's exactly what it's used to describe. In verse 52 of Acts 13, the disciples are filled with two things, actually, joy and the Holy Spirit. And then it's used in Ephesians 5.18, be filled with the Spirit. Now, a couple of notes that are significant, and I won't park on this. Uh, really, some of this we'll discuss in our Q&A in just a couple minutes. 
But first, notably, Ephesians 5.18 is the only reference to being filled with the Spirit in the entire writing of Paul. Paul wrote 12 books in your New Testament, and he said once something about being filled with the Spirit. Listen to me. If Paul, who addressed sanctification almost as much as he addressed any other issue, if this had been that significant, Paul would have addressed it repeatedly. He said it once. And his emphasis seems to be pretty clear. Keep being filled. You already are. Keep being filled. Just continue to be filled. And what that results in, what that truly looks like is simply this. Obey. Folks, part of being filled with the Spirit is obeying what you read. Part of being filled with the Spirit is submitting to the Word of God. That's it. It's that simple. And you say, that's not simple. I know it's not simple in the sense that it's easy. But what I'm saying is it's simple in the sense that this is very objective. We can grasp this. There is no miraculous, crazy noise that we're waiting to hear like Acts 2, right? No, Paul is literally saying, at salvation you are indwelt, sealed, anointed, baptized, and filled. Keep being filled. Keep submitting. Keep yielding. Keep listening to the word. Keep responding in obedience. That's what it is to be filled. And I think that's his point. So one of the most significant truths with all of this that we're looking at is this. None, none of the references we looked at, none of them are contrived. None of them are worked up. None of them truly are sought after. In every occurrence, the writer says, you got this. It was given to you. You already have it. It's already there. It's not chase after this. Seek this. Pray for this. That's not what, that's not what you're instructed to do. Period. It's just not. And that's part of the point. That's part of the point that he's making. So if you have turned in faith to Jesus and you've been born again, you can receive, you have the Holy Spirit. And you have all the blessings that he's going to give to you. Listen, this is Peter's response. This is what Peter says to the crowd in his sermon as he responds. They say, what do we do to be saved? What do we do? And Peter says to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for what? For forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's it. Repent and believe, and you'll receive. So it's not something, even in that, that Peter says, repent, believe, and plead for the gift of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't say that. He does not say that. And so neither should we. Neither should we. Now, for sake of time, I'm going to more fully address the tongues piece uh, in Acts in our Q&A in just a minute. All right, We'll run through that in a moment, but I want to save time for that. So I'm going to skip the whole second part. All right, And what I want us to understand today about the, the ministry and the work of the Holy Spirit is this. You and I are called to be witnesses, but we're called to be witnesses by, in part, by our transformed lives. 
Folks, many times when we think about the Acts and we look at the work of the Spirit in Acts, we're looking and we're saying, how does that, how does this rushing noise and people speaking in an unknown tongue that they've never spoken before, how does that connect to us? This, their lives were transformed. And the Holy Spirit of God is still in the business of transforming lives. Listen to me. The means, the best example, the greatest witness you can give is a life that is truly transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. That's the key. And that's the work that the Spirit came to accomplish in us. So hopefully, as believers, you can see the Holy Spirit is absolutely at work in your life. Absolutely He is at work. He is working to transform and shape you. Now, that is not and cannot be the case if you have never been born again. If you have never turned in faith to Jesus, He alone is your hope. If you've never turned to Him for help, for grace, for forgiveness, then you can't be. You are not regenerated. You have not been born again. And that's the first step. Turn in faith. Call out to Him. Jesus, I know I need a Savior, and I want you to be my Savior. I want you to save me from my sin, because I know I can't save myself. That's what this is. And when you call out, and when you believe that He is your hope, that He is the answer, that He can be your Savior, the Spirit regenerates. The Spirit does this transforming work. Have you experienced that? If not, you can today. Don't wait. Don't wait. By God's grace, respond. Turn in faith to Jesus.